The Gospel according to St. John, we're reading out of the fourth chapter. A Samaritan woman came to draw water, and Jesus said to her, Give me a drink. His disciples had gone to the city to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, How is it that you, a Jew, ask a drink of me, a woman of Samaria? Jews do not share things in common with Samaritans. Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is that is saying to you, Give me a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. The woman said to him, Sir, you have no bucket, and the well is deep. Where do you get that living water? Are you greater than our ancestor Jacob, who gave us the well, and with his sons and his flocks drank from it? Jesus said to her, Everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again. But those who drink of the water that I will give them will never be thirsty. The water that I will give will become in them a spring of water gushing up to eternal life. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so that I may never be thirsty or have to keep coming here to draw water. Jesus said to her, Go call your husband and come back. The woman answered, I have no husband. Jesus said to her, You are right in saying, I have no husband. For you have had five husbands, and the one you have now is not your husband. What you have said is true. The, wor- the woman said to him, Sir, I see that you are a prophet. Our ancestors worshipped on this mountain, but you say that the place where people must worship is in Jerusalem. Jesus said to her, Woman, believe me, the hour is coming when you will worship the Father neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. You worship what you do not know. We worship what we know. For salvation is from the Jews. But the hour is coming and is now here when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For the Father seeks such as these to worship Him. God is spirit, and those who worship Him must worship in spirit and truth. The woman said to him, I know that Messiah is coming, who is called Christ. When he comes, he will proclaim all things to us. Jesus said to her, I am he, the one who is speaking to you. Just then the disciples came. They were astonished that he was speaking with a woman. But no one said, what do you want or why are you speaking with her? Then the woman left her water jar and went back to the city. She said to the people, Come and see a man who told me everything I have ever done. He cannot be the Messiah, can he? They left the city and were on their way to him. Then skip with me if you're following along to verse 39. Many Samaritans from that city believed in him because of the woman's testimony. He told me everything I have ever done. So when the Samaritans came to him, they asked him to stay with them, and he stayed there two days. And many more believed because of his word. They said to the woman, It is no longer because of what you have said that we believe, for we have heard for ourselves, and we know that this is truly the Savior of the world. This is the word of God for the people of God. The sermon series we're working on for this season of Lent comes mostly out of this gospel according to John. I'm calling the series, Who Is This? Because in these readings from John, he keeps exploring these different facets of who Jesus is and how people perceive him and who they believe him to be. 
It's important for us to know all that is in the gospel around the identity of Jesus, but we're looking particularly about what do you believe? Who is Jesus in your life? How does your commitment to Jesus and being a follower of His make a difference in terms of how you live? Now, if you were here a couple of weeks ago and I started reading this, you thought that sounds familiar because Bishop Bickerton read this very text for us when he was here. I had laid out this sermon series months ago. Then 10 days before Bishop Bickerton came, he emailed his titles and his text. Guess what he had chosen? All the ones I had chosen. He likes the Gospel of John. So he chose the one that Bill preached on last week, the one I'm preaching on today, another one that's coming up. But I thought, you know, John covers so much territory and these assigned readings are so long, I bet he'll go a different direction than I will choose to go. And sure enough, he did. He talked about relationship. If you were here, you'll remember. He talked about how Jesus initiates this relationship with this unnamed Samaritan woman and how it might be important for us to be like Jesus and initiate relationships with people beyond our usual circles. He told us a story of when he was having a bad day and he went through Wendy's, ordered his food, paid for the food, and then promptly drove away. Five miles down the road, realized he was still hungry. He forgot to wait for his food. His stomach, he said, won the debate between his ego and his pride and his hunger, and he went back and said to the woman, so sorry, I'm having a bad day. And she said, so was I till I met you. <laughs> and he reminded us that there are lots of people in our world who are having a bad day and that if you and I would be looking for them and treat them in a way that said you matter you matter that would be a Christian thing to do and that would be like what Jesus did with this Samaritan woman to treat people even if they're beyond our usual circle of friends as if they really matter he said you never know who's having one of those bad days and you might make all the difference. And then last week, Dr. Kroll was our preacher. He was in the third chapter of John, just before where we read here today. It's the story of Nicodemus coming at night to talk with Jesus, trying to understand what he's saying about God. John plays with this image of darkness and light throughout the gospel. Dr. Kroll talked about how Jesus is bringing the light to a dark world reminded us of the ode to joy and how that's being used around the world in a variety of places to raise people's spirits, to bring them into the light, if you will. Had Dr. Pensera play it on the organ to remind us of how uplifting it is. Talked about us being like Jesus and bringing light into the world. So we have Jesus as a relationship builder in the Gospel of John and bringer of light. But did you notice how many different ways Jesus is referred to in just the passage we read today? I counted seven different images or names or titles for Jesus just in those few verses. I want to review them with you. wonder if you saw all those. If you have your Bibles open... Look in verse 10 with me. Jesus has started this conversation with the woman. He's asked for a drink. She's basically said, yeah, I don't think so. We don't share things in common. Then John records that Jesus answered her, if you knew the gift of God and who it is 
that is saying to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. I see two images there for Jesus. One is gift of God, and two is living water. Have you ever thought about Jesus being a gift of God to you? Have you ever been in one of those really hard places, feeling rather spiritually dry, and thought, maybe Jesus could be living water for me? Those are the first two. If you keep looking as we go through there, jump down to verse 14. The conversation is still going. Jesus is speaking and says, Those who drink of the water that I will give them will never be thirsty. The water that I will give will become in them a spring of water gushing up to eternal life. I'm counting the spring of gushing water the same as living water. So number three as I'm counting it, eternal life. Eternal life is number three. But then the conversation continues. If you jump down to verse 19, Jesus has said some things to the woman about her past, some things that are not really very flattering, probably kind of embarrassing, maybe even humiliating. She says back to her, back to Jesus, Sir, I see that you are a prophet. So number four is prophet. But then that conversation continues. And by verse 25, she adds to prophet, as John writes it, where she says, I know that Messiah is coming. So that is five. Messiah is another title some ascribe to Jesus. But then the conversation continues. One that's really easy to miss is in verse 26. Jesus said to her right after she's talked about Messiah, I am he, the one who is speaking to you. But my Bible has a footnote right there that directs you to the bottom that says that in the Greek, the original this was taken from, instead of I am he, Jesus says I am. It's a very important designation from the Hebrew Scriptures for God. I'm sure if you've been going here very long, you've heard this. Dr. Biggs taught this so very well. Exodus chapter 3, Moses has been called by God to go face down Pharaoh, where his people have been slaves for hundreds of years. He says, go down there and set my people free. And Moses says, I can't go. I don't even know who you are. Who should I say sent me? And the answer is, I am. Or I am who I am. Go to them and say that you were sent to them by me. I am. It refers to a verb, to be. The suggestion is that God is the ground of our being or being itself. That God gives all of us existence or being. I am. And so in this passage, when talking about the Messiah, Jesus says to the woman, I am. Jesus is self-identifying with God as I am. I am the one. John talks a lot about the intimacy between Jesus and God and how they are so intimately connected. I am in him and he is in me and all that kind of thing we read as we go through this gospel. So that's number six. 
I am. The very last image comes in the very last verse we read. By this time, Jesus has spent two days with those Samaritans, and they declare, we know that this is truly the Savior of the world. Savior of the world is number seven. But the important part is not only that we see all of those, but we figure out which one God is using to speak to us and lead and guide us. Which one is most important to you? Gift of God, living water, eternal life, prophet, Messiah, I am Savior of the world. It's hard to juggle all of those. Our Gospels are so rich in information about who God is and how God is revealing Himself through Jesus that sometimes it seems like there's too many names. It can get overwhelming not knowing which answer is right, how I can deal with all these. It's an important exercise to spend some time thinking about that. Let us not shrink from that task. But the foundational point here is to realize that people experience Jesus in different ways. And when we can engage and learn about those different images of Jesus, it leads us to a fuller understanding of all of who God is. So often we try to narrow it down. We hear people say there's only one answer, only one right answer about what God is doing in the world or who Jesus is. But the Gospels, if you read them very far, make it really clear lots of different experiences of God through Jesus Christ. Lots of different images and titles that are meaningful to people to help them be more faithful. We are creatures created by God, given free will. So it's up to us to decide to engage with this biblical material and these different names and titles of God and to interpret for ourselves, how is God speaking to me? If you believe that God is alive and speaking, then how is God speaking to you? Which of these images is most important for you to latch on to and to remember and let inform how you live? But you know what? We run into different obstacles that cause us to waver sometimes. No matter which image we've chosen, sometimes we struggle with commitment. It's interesting to me that in this story, John tells us by the end of the story that the Samaritans in the village have come to believe. They say, Jesus, Savior of the world. But the woman that met him at the well... I think is still undecided John never tells us what her decision is in terms of following him or not back in verse 29 when she's telling her friends and her village companions that she's met this man then she says he cannot be the Messiah can he question mark she's still struggling with who Jesus is going to be for her. Is he the Messiah or not? I'm not sure she's ready to fully commit yet. But that can happen to any and all of us. What are those obstacles for you? What keeps you from fully committing, from following with all your heart, soul, and mind? What gets in your way? Sometimes we have doubts, frustrations, things in our past, for this Samaritan woman, it might be any of those. 
I mean, she's talking to a Jew. She's been raised to be suspicious of Jews at best, to think they're completely wrong at worst. So it might just be that difference in belief. She's prejudiced, if you will, against Jesus and the Jews. But it might be that they worship at a different place. They have different customs in terms of how you come before God, what's appropriate. For us today, it might be worship style or the way the sanctuary looks or what kind of music is sung during worship. Sometimes that's an obstacle to some of us from coming and connecting and committing fully to being a follower of Christ. It might be her past. Jesus has uncovered some things from her past that are not very flattering. She's made some big mistakes. Maybe she thinks too big. I've talked to lots of people who feel like that they have done something or a series of something. They've made mistakes, made bad decisions, and in fact, they're so outrageous that their life is so distorted that God cannot love them. They think somehow their particular sin is so big that it's bigger than God's love. That is a mistake. God can still love you, wants to love you, will accept and care for you no matter your past. But sometimes folks have trouble hearing that as good news. But the good news is that Jesus comes bridging the barrier, spanning the gap, overcoming the obstacle. Jesus is coming to us from God. And he's stepping across all of that. Look in verse 23 and 24. I think Jesus is trying to make that very thing clear to this woman where he says here, the hour is coming and is now here when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For the Father seeks such as these to worship him. God is spirit and those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. The invitation is to follow him to let the customs and the differences in your past go and follow Christ. And he says the invitation is once you decide to follow, eternal life starts now. It's coming, he says, but it's also coming right now. The hour is now. You do not have to cross the barrier. God does that for you in Christ Jesus our Lord. I read a story this week by a guy named John Smith. It was about a time years ago in his life when he was a much younger man. He says, I was driving across Indiana on my way to Michigan. It was winter. I was going home for the holiday, and I was fortunate enough to have a Corvette. He said, man, I was flying down the highway. It was a fast car, driving faster than I should have, but I knew the storm was coming. It already started to snow. It was so very cold. I wanted to get home as soon as possible. He says he flew under a bridge, so to speak, and he noticed out of the corner of his eye a guy standing there. A little bit further down the road, he said, was that guy in uniform? He said, well, a green uniform. Maybe he had on a green hat pulled down tight over his eyes and over his ears had a duffel bag there with him, a big green duffel bag. Did he have his thumb up? He thought maybe he did. He started wondering if he should go back. He didn't really want to go back. He looked over at the seat, I mean a Corvette, two-seater, full of presents he was taking home to his family. 
He thought, no way I can get that guy in his duffel bag in my car. And he kept driving. But he said there was this small voice inside of him that kept kind of nagging at him. And even though he was trying to rationalize that he didn't have to care, he said that all of a sudden he found himself turning the steering wheel, pulling a U-turn, going back toward the guy, but all the while thinking, I hope somebody else has already picked him up. Then I will have done the right thing, but I really won't have to bother with this guy. He said, I crested the hill. He was still standing there. I kind of cursed under my breath. Pulled another U-turn, pulled up by him. The guy came over. I rolled down the window. His face was already kind of tinted blue. His lips looked like they were dry and cracking. His teeth were kind of chattering. He said, I am so glad you stopped. I'd about given up hope. John said, he asked the guy, where are you going? He said, Michigan. He said, darn. He said, there's no way I can get you in here with that duffel bag. You're probably going to have to leave that here. He said, oh, no way I can do that. These are presents. I promise if you let me try to get in, I'll be able to get in. He said, okay. He started moving the presents, putting them behind the seats, wedging them in between. Finally, he says, we got the guy in. Duffel bag presents piled all around him. I had to go around and close the door, jumped in the driver's seat. We're speeding off again. Nothing was said until a few moments later. I guess he warmed up, John writes. And he said, did I see you come by here a few minutes ago? John says, I felt really stupid right about then. He said, yeah, yeah, that, that was me. He said, you turned around and came back to pick me up? John nodded yes. He said, why would you do that? John paused for a moment. He said, well, I grew up in a family that taught me to take care of people in need. And even though I didn't want to, I knew it was the right thing to do. He said, plus, I'm a minister. <laughs> he said, but it's even, it, it, it's really just because I'm a Christian he said, I just know sometimes what the right thing to do is. I feel the prompting. I hear the voice inside, but I have as much trouble as anybody else doing it sometimes. And sometimes, though, I just feel like Jesus is looking at me, and he's so disappointed that I am able then to do the right thing. The other guy was silent for a while. And then he said, let me tell you something that's embarrassing. I'm not even a Christian. I'm really not a very good person most of the time. But you know what? I got so cold and I felt so lonely and so desperate, I started praying to God out there. It was humiliating. I never turned to God. And then you drove up and told me it was because of Jesus. What do you make of that? What do you make of that? Our Father is a seeking God, Jesus says. Apparently, it's not your economic status, or your ethnicity, your gender, your marital status, where you've been, who you are, your sexual orientation, your immigration status, your prejudice, your past, who you know, where you've been. None of those are the criteria Jesus sets forth for being a part of the family of Christ. 
Jesus says, wanting to worship God in spirit and truth is the criterion. And if you want to join him, the hour is now, he says. Come and follow me. Eternal life starts now. Amen. And thanks be to God.